0: Welcome to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Laura Scappatichu, your host. This is my final episode with The Anthroposopher. I've started my new podcast called That Good May Become. And if you're connected to Anthroposophy, you know exactly where that line is from. And I hope you'll follow it and find it on any podcast app that you use. Or you can email me at connect at to find out more. Now, I'm really excited to tell you about this episode with Angela Foster. Angela helped to found Applied Anthroposophy, an online course that starts October 13th and runs through May. And this year's course looks amazing. I hope you'll all go over to AppliedAnthroposophy.org and check it out. It's been an incredible privilege to work for the Anthroposophical Society in America. And during my time, we created a whole library of resources and you can find that on anthroposophy.org slash webinars. There are workshops and conferences on death and dying, on meditation, on biography work. Pretty much anything you can think of can be found in that library. I do hope you'll check it out and stay connected to the Anthroposophical Society in America. If you stay tuned till the end of the podcast, you'll hear the verse for America, something that Angela and many of us have been working with during this tumultuous time in the world. And we look forward to staying connected with you. Again, It's been a pleasure talking with all of you, and thank you so much all for listening, and check out my new podcast, That Good May Become, pretty much anywhere you find your podcast. Hey, Angela. Hi, Laura. (laughs) Do you remember that time we were in Atlanta, which is where you live, and we... Um, put together a conference for the anthroposophical society and you made this amazing door with this huge collage over it you're gonna have to explain it can you talk about the door for a second then we'll see what happened with the
1: door okay so i made this door well i didn't make the door itself but i had a door and i had this imagination about covering it with words and images um as this doorway i have to think back now cuz it's been a, it's been several years but basically one side of the door was painted dark blue with all these golden stars on it and that is representative of the spiritual world and the flip side of the door were all these cutouts from being human and lilypoe and renewal magazines and it was just all these words and phrases that we say and use in Anthroposophy. So the title of the piece is Anthroposophy as a Doorway. So before the AGM in Atlanta, I got my husband to help me put it on a frame, on wheels so that we could roll it into the AGM and it opened and closed so that people could walk through it.
0: Yeah. Okay. First of all, this door was beautiful. And so you, it was really, it's so beautiful. So you roll it into this space. I I just, so everybody's listening, like this is, this is Anthroposophy. We're talking about Anthroposophy (laughs) right now. This is it. So Anthroposophy is a doorway and you, you, (laughs) because you're connected with Anthroposophy made an actual doorway. And so we're with the conference is just about to begin and we've been planning for like a year. And, um, I I went through the door and I sat on the other side because I had to prepare myself because I was about to address the whatever couple hundred people at the at the conference. Right. And so I'm behind the door
1: and then go ahead. (laughs) Well, even before that, there's a little backstory because it was supposed to be in a room where Laura Summer was doing art just as an art piece. But because somebody was going in there, they were having a class where they were going to practice Taekwondo. Oh, at the community center we were having the conference at? At the community center, yes. Yes. It got moved into the hallway. And then the fire marshal came and said, this can't be in the hallway. (laughs) So by the series of interesting, you know, events, it ended up at the very front of the room that we were having the conference. So that to me was sort of startling as the artist. I never intended, oh, I'm going to put this piece of... Strange art at the very front of the conference, but really it just made its way there. And then, yeah, it was up at the front of the room. And I went to show somebody, oh, look, we made it to where it can actually open. And I opened the door, which the side I opened were all the words, all the pictures from this side of the veil. And I opened the doorway to the spiritual world. And there, sitting on the other side of the door, was Loris (laughs) Capitici in prayer. (laughs) and I was like oh my god it's done it it's fulfilled its purpose (laughs) so then if if I recollect correctly I went across the threshold met you on the other side and we gave each other a big hug (laughs) and then I said okay I'm going back and I went back across the threshold and shut the door so that you could continue your moment of privacy in the spiritual world
0: (laughs) that was so amazing so um oh my gosh that was that was quite a moment right there yeah and i I had to still stay on the other side of the threshold Yeah, I myself. It was so surprising. I was like, "Who's coming through the door?" And it was you, of all the people. <laughs> so um, we're kind of here. This is the last episode of the Anthroposopher that I'm um, creating, and we've had about it's had about thirty three episodes. And mm-hmm. so I thought, let's um, just talk about how we work with anthroposophy because you and I have been, well, now everyone has an example of how (laughs) we work with anthroposophy um, in this really creative and beautiful way. And we are also both moms and, you know, busy and, you know, deeply caring for anthroposophy in the world and our children and our families and our homes and all of these things too. So I just wanted to start with that, that we're just like... um, normal humans <laughs> trying to um, do the <laughs> spiritual task. And I think we both sort of wrote down um, around the same time, like within a year or two of each other, this like spiritual mission that we had, which can you can you say what you wrote down when you wrote your spiritual mission? And mine's basically the same thing.
1: Right. My uh, personal mission statement for the last few years has been to create low cost or free opportunities for adults to encounter anthroposophy so in that this idea that one creating opportunities that in itself is a task just to create the circumstances where something can happen and that could be physical circumstances or now in this new age of post 2020 it could be virtual circumstances and then the low cost or free is this recognition of the fact that we work with money in this world that we're in now all the time there's really no getting away from it but if i can attend to that consciously that we can re- remove some of those barriers those financial barriers of people encountering anthroposophia. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing. Our mutual friend, um, Robert McDermott, who mm. is in San Francisco, California, um, met you, and he knew me, and he actually <laughs> knew my brother before he knew me and he was like you two need to meet each other and so a little shout out to Robert McDermott for introducing us because my mission was essentially the same and continues to be is to bring anthroposophy to anyone who wants to access it um, just in a in a warm sort of free way so
1: yeah anyway you, Robert
0: Thank yeah, you, Robert. Thank you, thank you Robert. That's <laughs> <Good work>. right. <laughs> he was like, You need to talk to this woman, Angela,
1: in Atlanta. She's got like she's got like some powers going on. <laughs> I know what it was that he connected us. It it's enthusiasm. Cause you know, with humility, but with self-knowledge, I will say that we both have a gift for enthusiasm to mm. be enthused with the being of anthroposophy. So I know that's what Robert perceived when he said, oh, these two individuals need to be reconnected. Because there's something when I work with you that I feel through my heart that connects in this really warm, um, warm and enlightened way. Mm -hmm. I can really feel it, so. And so,
0: and so it happened. So we did connect and we've worked on all kinds of programs, not just the Atlanta conference. And we continue to work together. And one of the main things that we're working on right now um, is this connection. Okay. So let me just, let me just back it up a little bit. If people are new to Anthroposophy and they're listening to this particular podcast, they might not understand or they y'all who are listening, you might be new to the concept of spiritual beings. And so how do we say this? You can get a sense of uh how do you describe a spiritual being? Maybe, maybe you have a, Ooh. a sense of that. I'm just trying to think like when yeah. you walk into a place, this might be an example, you can feel like the energy in the space. Mm-hmm. Like you might be like, Ooh, that space has weird energy or oh, that, that, that party had really great energy like everybody was engaged and talking and so like i'm just tr- trying to get some super mainstream words around it i'm sure mm-hmm. people that are listening can please email me <laughs> and give me more but yeah it's like a a sense of something larger in the space that is yeah. can a connecting force in a way how about you go
1: <laughs> well i will say that it is not what i thought it would be to be consciously working with spiritual beings because coming up, you know, raised as a Christian, I had heard about angels and and beings of that sort of realm and the way they're pictured is literally pictured like in my children's bible there are pictures of angels or um you know, my mom used to watch a show, I think it was called Highway to Heaven, where there was an angel. (laughs) Yes, it's with um, Michael Michael Landon. Landon. Yeah, right. (laughs) So I thought that it would be a visual experience. Or even when I hear when I would read about Joan of Arc, like her experience is described as this visual experience. So that has been a big, um, this is a funny pun, a big eye opener for me, is that the way that I experience working with spiritual beings that I'll just say, I'll call them angels for right now. Um, they are It's not a visual experience. So that's been interesting. So I guess it is more what you alluded to when you said it's sort of the feel of a room. But it even, it's not a feeling for me, it isn't even a feeling that I would be used to, like warmth or coldness, a physical feeling. It's a different, it's completely different than that, but yet just as real. So it's really, really hard to put into words. So um, I don't even think I answered the question. Sorry. You
0: did. No, I, I really like how you answered it, actually, because I think it's an important <laughs> distinction. I'm sure there are people, I know there are people that can perceive like with their Uh, physical eyes that was a good pun by the way eye opening Um,
1: I could say something out of my experience is it for it really began to become conscious for me when through biography work when I was able to look back at my life this this life this incarnation and see or remember events that had happened to me I was able to begin to perceive the presence of my guardian angel. Because there were, I get tearful even calling it up because I had, I was blessed in many ways, but I also had a lot of trauma as a young person. And when I was able, through anthroposophy, found biography work, looked back over my life and did some inner work and could see these moments where my higher self stepped in. And, and helped make the right decision that would move me along the course of my life that got me to where I am now. And so having had a personal um, affirmation that, that I'm not alone, I'm not doing this alone, that there is a force or a being that accompanies me, that helps me, and often in the times of greatest need, once I felt inwardly that affirmation, then new new ways of perceiving opened up for me. And it's almost like once I believed, then new things could become possible. Hmm. So, does that? Yeah, okay.
0: that's great. I, I think that's true. Like once you, and I would say, you could even go beyond the word believe and say once you experienced,
1: yeah, right? Because
0: mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a belief system, right? Right. It's, it's not like a blind
1: faith. It's right. based on my own personal experience that is hard to describe but could could never be shaken from me because mm-hmm. it's I experienced it as real and true and mm-hmm. good.
0: Okay. So I'm just going to have to plug my new podcast because <laughs> – <laughs> the whole podcast—it's called "That Good May Become," mm-hmm. yeah. and um, it's—and the last episode was actually with Chris Burke, who's a professor at Lehigh University, who we've worked with,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, he's talking about biography work. So, people are interested in biography work—that um, would be a good episode to check out. But the whole, what I'm trying to do right now in the new podcast is have people share their spiritual biographies. So, could you share? one story, one experience. Like you talked about this guardian angel. Um could you and he shared an amazing story in the last um episode of That Good May Come about basically it was like a guardian. It saved his life actually. So could you share one story from okay, your spiritual yeah.
1: biography? Ooh, awesome. Which, which awesome. one? Which one? <laughs> because I feel really blessed to have had more than one because I know yeah some people I, I believe people have them all the time and, and just without inner excavation might not be aware of it because so much of our culture is not um training us to be looking for them um but here's one that's pretty it's i was a grown-up by the time this one happened i had gone to um school to get my master's degree in library media and i went through the program and had gone into the intern program and did my internship in this little elementary school in decatur which was the whole reason i I went to the program was so that i could get a job in the school in my neighborhood so that when my daughter went to school i would be working in her school so i did the internship and then they offered me the job and of course i'm going to say yes because this is the whole reason i took this master's program and something in me said no here i come here comes the the tears again i just said no i mean it took a little while i didn't say right then but i slept on it and i really couldn't explain it at the time i just said this isn't this is crazy i told my husband patrick this is crazy but i think i have to say no and i don't know why but the feeling in my heart is so strong (laughs) so i said no And then it wasn't that much further down the road that um, through a series of events, it's too long to get into, we ended up finding out about Waldorf. There's a Waldorf school in Atlanta. And I had never even heard of Waldorf education. I didn't know anything about anthroposophy. I was, you know, I was in my 20s and just wasn't there yet, but was led to the Waldorf School of Atlanta. And Um, you know, had this experience like many people do at Waldorf schools on the tour of I have been looking for this my whole life. And we immediately enrolled our daughter and we've been there ever since. And so with hindsight, through the biography work and mapping out my life, I can look back and realize there was a presence greater than my than my conscious self, than my I'll call it my lower self, that knew that if I took that job in the city schools that I intended to take, that my course would have been diverted and I wouldn't have made it in the right time to the Waldorf School, which immediately, like within a year, led me into the foundation studies program for anthroposophy and the arts. And wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's an incredible story. You know, um, that i that's how i discovered anthroposophy through through my tour at a waldorf school of the course. mulberry <laughs> waldorf school in in um kingston ontario in canada yes. um but yeah uh and your children would not have had that path either if you had not listened so who knows who it's for it's like it's for you it's also for them and we just don't know um so amazing it's so hard um I mean, and that was the same for me in leaving this position with the Anthroposophical Society, which was such an incredible opportunity that I just loved my job so much, but my heart was telling me to go and I didn't know what to do about that. But, you know, when you trust these things, you figure out later when you yeah. look at your biography, what, what it's supposed to happen. Thank you for sharing that story. <laughs> and, and, and it's like a heart, a heart, um, a heart angel. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, you know, in regular in the regular world somebody could say oh that was just a gut feeling or you know there's other explanations for it but there's really no way to ha- to help somebody have the experience that confirms it for me and that's why the mission statement is to create opportunities for people because mm. i believe that if this is my task right everybody has a different task i believe my task is to create help create these opportunities and then the the individuals arrive and the rest is up to, to the spiritual world, to their guardian angel and to the other good forces that are helping helping humanity, you know.
0: So nice, so nice. Yeah, you create create the space for the encounter, right? Right. And then the encounter takes them in the direction.
1: Okay. And what I have found is it's like now more and more, it's not just creating the space, but it's really co-creating the space. And that's what you and I have practice so much in these conference plannings and with creating the Applied Anthroposophy program is that it takes so many people coming together with, you know, the same goals, right? Using the Verse for America to be able to, to create these mighty invisible containers for for good work to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so two things we're going to loop back to. One is, <laughs> a, one is Applied Anthroposophy and maybe at the end you okay. can say that verse for America, I think that'd be okay. really nice to kind of say at the end. So, so speaking of these containers, this is where, um, because this episode is meant to be about connecting with Anthroposophia, which is the spiritual being that's connected to Anthroposophy. Um, those containers, those conference planning containers um, and these group spaces is where I've I experienced different spiritual beings or energies, whatever people want to call it, the most. Um, And I do have personal experiences, too, with this being, uh, but certainly in these group working spaces, like you said, it's co-working actually is where where it comes in. Um, But maybe we can move into that discussion about working with this, the being of anthroposophy, um, which is the lecture... Mm. The lecture we read before we got on this call, um, we read this together and sent each other little voice memos on our phone about things that stood out to us about this lecture. So could we move maybe in that direction? You could talk about your experience a little bit and how you work with that being.
1: Yeah. So the lecture, let's see, February 3rd, 1913. Is that right?
0: Yeah. In Berlin Berlin. by By Rudolf Steiner, just in case anybody wasn't sure who we were talking about.
1: Right. Thank you, Rudolf (laughs) Steiner. Thank you, Dr. Steiner. (laughs) Yeah, um what could I say? There's so much. It's such a big a big topic. I'll say, you know, just jumping in the middle that I have been thinking about anthroposophy and this being of anthroposophia as a being and not just this field of knowledge or a field of activity, but as a being for many years based on Something I don't think it's from this lecture, but somewhere Rudolf Steiner says that she she is an invisible being that moves moves among human beings. so that just to me was such a mystery again, with this I like we talked about with the angels, like what does that mean? because I only have this visual way of thinking about beings. So what is an invisible being? And what does it mean that she's moving in between us? Andy says she wants to be consulted about these mundane things, the most mundane things. So I'm like, really? Does she really want me to bother her all the time? (laughs) So I just started trying it, just kind of practicing it. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to try this. It doesn't, you know, I'm not saying this is exactly right or this is the way everybody has to do it. But... First, I just started thinking about it and about her and what it's what what she would be like and what does she want and then how can I help her and things like that. And then I started writing to her. And I've told you this, that I have a journal where I write to her and just sort of, you know, stream of consciousness will sort of ask her questions or pour out ideas. So I had a r- very regular practice before the the AGM came to Atlanta of asking her for help with that conference and just mostly asking to help me get myself out of the way (laughs) and to to help be a vehicle for the, the good that could come through having her work with us. And lately, I've been thinking about her in terms of sisterhood and just what would it be like if she were a sister? So. I love that, yeah it's an it's an interesting line of um, research and consideration, and it's you know just at the very beginning, but we hear a lot about in um you know in the good work in the world, we hear a lot about brotherhood, and I started thinking about sisterhood because I am a sister i have two two brothers in my family, but I don't have any sisters, birth sisters. I have sisters in law. But I started thinking about sisters and sistering and being sistered. And I experienced that um, when we first really started working together, when you invited me to help with an art project in Hmm. Arizona. Was that Arizona?
0: Yeah, we had an annual conference in Phoenix, Arizona in in 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: and you asked me, that was at the very beginning, bringing it back to the door. I had just started working on the door And you said, "Will you work with me and my friend Amy Bird on this art project. We want to do some collage. And I said, oh, my God, I'm working on a collage right now. (laughs) There again is that, you know, the little tap on the shoulder of like, say yes. So I remember that conference at the end of that conference telling you and Amy, I my experience of that, of working with you, was of being sistered. So yeah. since since then, I've been holding that idea of sisterhood and sistering alongside my relationship with Anthroposophia.
0: Mm. Gosh, that's so beautiful. And it also makes it so, um, well, a sis- sister is something that's so concrete and material and so spiritual at the same time. It's really a perfect word to describe that relationship. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting, I'm looking at this picture of um, this little watercolor painting of Mary that you sent me mm-hmm. some time ago that I think a student painted or something. Um, yeah, do you remember that one? And um, I wonder if people have that relationship, you know, I think I think the most common sort of she-female um, spiritual connection people have is, is to Mary, at least in sort of the Christian tradition and I wonder if people are like hey Mary's my sister what would that be like and right. so it's <laughs> yeah because we
1: think of her so often as mother yeah like, you know the She's divine like, Sophia as right mother. but that can be a little um that sometimes can be a little overwhelming because it's you know, this huge mother concept, but if I think sister, then somehow I can take it from a hierarchical experience to this standing next to me experience where my heart is at the same level.
0: Yeah, that's exactly the picture I had. It's just like arm in arm, like next to each other. Yeah, Yeah.
1: totally, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So I, I've just, just from the article a little bit, um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I like, I didn't, you know, when you're talking about like, see this being as a, as someone that walks among us, it's, he gives this sort of history of how people, he talks about Dante, Rudolf Steiner talks about Dante in particular, writes this poem, and it seems like it's to his, his love, like Beatrice, but it's actually to philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so, in this like evolution of spiritual consciousness, people really felt connected, like they just felt connected to these beings that went along with them. Um, and so philosophy was this being. And so he's talks about this transformation about how we uh, feel further and further away from spirit. And I, I love this one part where he's saying that, you know, people will criticize um and judge spiritual um ideas and concepts more quickly than any other idea or concept like you could read a newspaper and it could be like well this thing is happening in the world with this particular um genome and everybody goes oh okay and then someone's like well actually um i saw an angel and they're like oh no you didn't <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and like so um you know that's the that's the thing about spiritual science that's why rudolf steiner calls it spiritual science because it's it's research um individual experience as research and like exploration in like deep ways, um, researching, not accepting or believing, which is what we said earlier. But, um, I, I feel like, My experience of this being is like often in groups when when it's like somebody says something that I was thinking or I say Mm -hmm. something and someone's like, that's exactly. So like this thing that comes into the space and creates a possibility for a working. But then my individual experience has been like a dialogue. So like a kind of a journal dialogue, like you said. Um, where I can ask a question and an answer will come. And whether that's like my higher self or I feel it's this being working with me, um my higher self, um, these answers show up. And I feel like it's so nice to have, I guess people do this with God and with Jesus and <laughs> with other like bigger, um sort of what people would perceive as like bigger spiritual beings um but to me with anthroposophy because it's such um nothing's given to you in anthroposophy i don't think Mm. like you have to work you have to work and explore it yourself and so to feel like you have someone working and exploring it to you there's not dogma um at least at its best there's no dogma um you have to, you have to, it's not an easy path, I think, anthroposophy. So to have this, um, understand that there's this being with it that you can just talk to like a sister uh, (laughs) really helps, really helps. Yeah. I'm still trying that out, really, honestly.
1: Well, that's like you said about research. It really is for me. I've tried it remember that my whole life is a research project. It's my own research project. And when we think about research and, uh, you know, what we typically think about modern science is there's a lot of mistakes, right? (laughs) There's a lot of uh, testing and retesting and adjusting here and there. And so I just try to be kind with myself when I feel like I've made myself a fool, or, you know, misspoke or misquoted something or, you know, even miss through an accident, right, have just misrepresented something that I thought I understood. And then later, I'm like, Oh, my God, why do I even open my mouth? I don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So I just try to forgive myself when when that happens, because it's research. Yeah, that's so good, isn't it? Like, yeah, you're
0: right. In research, there's a ton of mistakes, or at least there should be. I mean, because you're testing things out and trying things. So just yeah. having that, giving yourself that grace, you know, right. to just explore. I wonder if other people like would write to us and tell us how they're experiencing
1: that being uh, and that, yeah, how they, wouldn't that be cool? I'd love to collect, um, collect them all and have them in some place where people could read them and yeah. Yeah. It, I remember the thing that I worked with in the lecture at the end, Rudolf Steiner talks about the, I can't quote it word for word, but the picture that I worked with and actually tried to draw out a few times, I drew it in my journal to Anthroposophia, was he talks about the being Sophia. It was is along the lines of what you said, how um, it was the Greeks talked about the being Sophia. And then there was this, philosophia, the being of philosophy, and how that being evolved into anthroposophia. And so there's this idea that I was seeing was this great big being, Sophia, who then, he says, has to pass through the human soul. So she passes through the human soul and then when she comes out of the human soul, then she can stand before the human being and reveal to the human being what the human being is. So I kept seeing like, okay, it's kind of like a mirror. It's like something, the way I drew it was like Sophia, this big Sophia in the back, coming down and then coming through my back and sort of piercing through my heart. But in order to grab the parts of my being, it wasn't just a quick pass through, but she did like Limnus gate a few times through my heart, almost creating like a heart chakra, and then she comes out the front and then somehow stands in front of me. <laughs> and that's where the image of the sister for Anthroposophia is really helpful because, um, then again, it's like here at my level where I can behold something that my little brain might even be able to comprehend and probably not my brain it's more my heart thinking right so where my heart brain can behold this being that has I mean these are incredible concepts right (laughs) this is me wrestling with it just like this being this mighty being is going to pass through my soul so then I have to think okay what's my soul again (laughs) Mm -hmm. and what's it going to feel like when it's passing through and how long does that take and you know what am I doing while this is happening and then she comes through and so, to me, in order for me to behold her, she has to come into the front of me, because again, I'm working with this concept of visual eyeballs, and there she is. And it's like, okay, what does she look like? Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm working with it. I love it. I love that you're
0: working with it through art. I think that's such a good, oh, such man. a good way to do it. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna read this last sentence from, okay. Um, because, okay, well, I'm gonna read two. Because he's talking about Sophia, philosophy, anthroposophia, and and then he says what we receive through anthroposophy is our very own being. So I think this picture you have of her, like this being passing through your soul and then standing out in front of you.
1: Yeah,
0: um, we we had this funny thing happen before we started recording where like I could hear my own voice <laughs> was like showing up. <laughs> as an echo and you made a joke like <laughs> that it was Anthroposophia, like Anthroposophia like
1: <laughs> She's on the call. In, like,
0: Hey, number three, I'm in the room as an echo. Um, but here's the, here's the last, here's the last little sentence. Okay. It says, um, it is the essence of Anthroposophy that its own being consists of the being of the human and its effectiveness, its reality Consist in that we receive from anthroposophy what we ourselves are, and what we must place before ourselves, because we must practice self knowledge.
1: Wow! Right, and that loops right back to the biography work again.
0: It does. Yeah, <laughs> and the podcast I'm doing, the whole first episode is about, the whole first season is about self knowledge, and I had never read this lecture <laughs> before.
1: So on that door frame where I had the door, I have dismantled the door frame since then because I couldn't get it back in the house. But I painted it gold, and in big letters above the door it said, "Know thyself." Mm. Yeah,
0: and that's what this is all about, you know. Um, all of this investigation and know thyself to know the world, right? Mm-hmm. And know the world to know yourself, and. Yeah. We need we need that right now, for sure. Yeah. And this level of a connection with spiritual beings beyond oneself, like to have that as part of the worldview. Yeah. I think is really powerful. Whether it's like, you know, the force of like the the trees for example, like that mm. life force of the trees or or the experience of water. I mean, that's like elemental beings, right? Maybe people can relate to that. You know, I was
1: thinking today about that because related to the word sister is the word cistern, which is this, it can be a waterproof container. So I was thinking about sisters and cisterns and being these vessels that can contain this mighty force of holy water. Well, that is so perfect. But I would just want to back up for one second because yeah. I don't know if you heard it because it was invisible. <laughs> but just I don't know how many seconds back it was, but there was a moment where I perceived her. I mean, I think she, like we said, with the echo and all of that, she's been here the whole time because we invited her and she's so interested in our work. <laughs> but right there, a few seconds ago, there was this moment of silence. Yep. And so often, that's when I really can perceive her. In uh, especially in group work, when there are these moments of silence, and they can be profound or deep. And really, for our culture, they can be uncomfortable, because we don't have a lot of practice. Most people, I mean, there are the Quakers and people with strong religious practice. But I would say for most of contemporary Western culture, there's not a lot of space made for silence and attending to that. So I I think if we can um, make space for those spaces, <laughs> those silent moments that we collectively can begin to perceive, perceive her in more conscious ways in our group working. Mm,
0: that's so nice. I, yeah, I felt, I felt that silence really deeply too for a moment there. And I think of like that inner quiet, I don't know, we, we have this opportunity to fill our space constantly with our phones, like to never have right. silence. Right. Um, but I'm thinking about the time during the pandemic too, when there were no planes flying overhead and That kind of silence and what emerged from that so like there's individual silence and then like group work silence and then collective silence yeah. Um, and, and what how important we've had a lot of chances for that over the last year and a half I'd say and yeah. Maybe we took them up and maybe we didn't but that silence is super important let's talk about applied anthroposophy a little bit and what's coming up because we worked on last year's applied anthroposophy which was just like a miracle
1: <laughs> amazing <laughs>
0: it was a miracle that it that it, it was it's in the world and it happened and so it's happening again um and i think this is a great place for people to get familiar with what well, was silence but also with um anthroposophy in general so if people have been listening to us thinking we're totally kooky. That's, that's cool. I'm cool with that. I mean, kind of, yeah. Um, But, but maybe you could talk about the applied anthroposophy a little bit.
1: But you can tell we're friendly too. We are. We're, we're, we're kooky friendly. We're friendly kooky. Yeah. Um, Well, again, I will say something happened in Atlanta where the, I mean, you had been working with it for probably several years and I think everybody that was involved had been doing work that got us at the ready. But in Atlanta, you called a meeting and we sort of talked about these American impulses for adult education. And so that started the conversation. And then we had, this was before COVID, remember? We had these several Zoom calls to plan and just talk to people in different parts of the country. Um, And then it just moved forward with this, this really incredible power and it was tied, I believe, to the the motif that showed itself to us of the butterfly. So we were working with the, the stages of development of a butterfly, which are the egg, the caterpillar, the chrysalis, and then the adult butterfly. And um, our group work in planning for this Applied Anthroposophy course really um, took up these pictures of what it means to for this butterfly being to transform itself and how can that be a symbol for a human soul seeking to have transformation. And as Rudolf Steiner tells us, everything in the physical world is a symbol for something in the spiritual world. And when you find the right symbol for the right moment in time, these, these symbols have power to, to help things happen. (laughs) So, um, yeah, through a lot of really wonderful people coming together, led by you, Laura, we were able to launch this Applied Anthroposophy program, and it wove together keynote speakers and group practice and these small group that we called chrysalis groups, these small learning clusters, and it had a, an amazing presence last year, and hopefully it'll be just as powerful this year, although it'll be in a new way because we know nothing stays the same.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So so it's starting this fall and what are the
1: main elements of it? Um, we're gonna have keynote speakers on Wednesday nights. Um, that's sort of the traditional format of somebody coming and having prepared uh, content in advance and talking and sharing. And we're also going to have um, some components that we're calling highlights from the movement. So inviting people that are working within the field of anthroposophy to come and do um, 20 to 30 minute sharings about what they're doing, what their research is and what their practice is with anthroposophy and how it's living in the world for them. And then um, these chrysalis groups, which are really key, are these small or smaller learning groups clusters. This is all happening online. So this is all in this new, (laughs) this new format of virtual, but somehow through the power of our intention and these, um, I believe the guidance of these good spiritual beings that really strong and powerful connections are happening. So in these chrysalis groups, we'll have, this year we're going to have themes so that people can choose what group they want to go to based on the theme and have weekly conversations around um, topics that are living in the world and um, i guess experienced through the lens of anthroposophy that sounds
0: fantastic and people can go to appliedanthroposophy.org <laughs> i should know i'm gonna look i'm gonna look okay. right now Applied. Anthroposophy. i don't think i told
1: you yet but robert mcdermott and i are doing a chrysalis groove
0: no yes (laughs) always back to robert
1: we're doing a group together (laughs) that the theme of it is reverence and devotion as a fundamental mood of soul so you're
0: invited (laughs) that's super cool i definitely want to go and it is appliedanthroposophy.org and the program starts october 13th and runs through may 25th really exploring the alchemy of applied anthroposophy pretty cool Thank Very you.
1: nice. Thank well, Because it wouldn't be in the world without you, Laura. Scott. Oh,
0: thank you. Well, it wouldn't be in the world without you either. We all, again, got to work together
1: right now. That's it. You're a great co-worker.
0: Oh, yay. <laughs> well, why don't we end with the verse for America? Do you know it uh, from your mm. heart?
1: Oh, my goodness. I might. If I get it wrong, will you guys all forgive me? <laughs> uh,
0: well, remember, we're all making mistakes.
1: Right. Because... <laughs> okay. This is how I can recollect it in this moment. I'll find it too. (laughs) May our feeling penetrate into the center of our heart and seek in love to unite itself with the human beings seeking the same goal. With the spirit beings who, bearing grace and illuminating, illuminating us from realms of light Strengthening us from realms of light and illuminating our love, right? Yes. Are gazing down upon our earnest, heartfelt striving. That's it. Okay. Are gazing
0: down upon our earnest, heartfelt striving.
1: Yay! We did it together. Yay! <laughs>
0: Yeah, we do a lot together. It's been so nice talking with you, and I feel so lucky to have you as a co-worker mm-hmm. in life and in this spiritual task, and um yeah. And thank can, you to
1: Anthroposophia.
0: Yeah, for, for joining us for this episode.
1: <laughs> for bringing us together, yeah. Um, That's
0: right. Okay, all right. on your work. Oh, thank you. We'll talk to you soon.